Hello and welcome to another episode of the MGMA Member Spotlight Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Daniel Williams, and I am joined today by Ken Chen and Jason Raidbard. They're both MGMA members, and let's get to know them a little bit better in this episode. All right. Well, Jason and Ken, thanks for joining the show. Yes, thanks, glad to be here. All right. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I want to start with you, Jason, and then go to you, Ken. But for our listeners, y'all are both MGMA members. This is the Member Spotlight Podcast, as I just mentioned. So let's get a brief overview of your healthcare journeys and how you arrived at your current roles. Jason, again, let's start with you there. Sure. Um, I actually started my career after college. Um, I wanted to go into city management, local government. And I had started a master's there and I was working as an intern for a local municipality in the Chicagoland area. And it just didn't speak to me. I didn't enjoy it. I was lucky enough that I met a physician um, by chance, kind of through my network, who was coming out of retirement and wanted someone like me who had some a semblance of, of business sense to run his office at that time. Other than being a patient, I had no idea how to run a you know physician practice. And we're going back 21 years ago. And from there, you know, I worked with him for almost seven years, helped build up a practice that was uh, primary care and occupational health with some ancillary services, learned a lot during that time. Um, and as I completed my master's, I took on different roles. Most of the roles at least for the first 19 years of my career, were for uh, health system, hospital-owned medical groups that I would either manage or direct. Uh, My most current role where I'm at today is I'm the service line executive for the Department of Ophthalmology at University of Chicago. So I was fortunate enough to to land that role through my, uh, my own network. And it's funny how my first role and my current role I obtained through network connections, but I have thoroughly enjoyed the last 21 years, but I'm really enjoying this role now. I'm a little bit more removed from operations. It's a bit more of business and strategy, partnerships, development, fundraising, but I'm enjoying it. So that's kind of a brief overview of where I've been and where I'm at today. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Jason. And uh, you brought up networking and we're going to talk about that a good bit about that MGMA network, and then the network beyond that within healthcare as well, and just how it's not just a a solo journey. There are people all along the way that you get to meet, just like the two of you met uh, through being MGMA members, and that's a really cool story. So, Ken, let's hear about your uh, healthcare journey as well. Sure. I've um, been in um, healthcare administration, or was uh, full-time for about 14, 15 years, um, I literally started off as an x-ray tech slash medical assistant in a sports medicine practice. It was actually my foot doctor. Um, that was for about a year. And then I shifted over to practice manager a year later. Um, the position became vacant. It's like, hey, do you want it? And I was like, sure. And I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so I learned everything from scratch, zero experience, and just figured it all out. And um, that's where I was at one point in charge of the entire life cycle of a patient or very much intimately learned about every single aspect, um, all the way from them having to request an appointment via the website, programming that HTML so they could do so, all the way through creating uh, the data file that was sent to the collection agency. 
Um, so it was a full spectrum there. And knowing that so intimately was, was huge for how I progressed through my career. Um, that was for about seven, six, seven years. And then I was an administrator uh, in urology um, for those were probably my favorite years um, with three urologists. Um, shout out to Drs. Merrick Meadows and Coopin at Euro Partners in Chicago. Um, yeah, those are my great years. Um, and then my final two years were in mental health um, as a director of operations and chief operating officer. Um, and just last year, I shifted um, completely. I was, I've been doing some consulting during, but completely operations consulting um, overall, but primarily healthcare. Uh, and then um, and pursuing a passion for real estate, um, yeah. having since moved out here to Oregon. That's such a cool story. Let me just follow up then. Is it commercial or residential real estate? Residential. Okay. At this time. Okay. I asked because uh, prior to this, um, I spent eight years covering commercial real estate uh, hmm. as a journalist for different magazines and websites that was back in <laughs> 2000 to 2008 working out of LA and uh, Orange County. And uh, that was exciting. You know, I watched the entire yeah. housing bubble occur <laughs> while, oh, yeah. while I was covering it. And, uh, but it's, it, those are some really cool people. And uh, yeah, so you're on that residential side and is it single family homes? Or are you more into like uh, it, most into that side of it? Yeah, single family. I mean, I'm I'm in the Portland metro area, so primarily okay. uh, single family homes. But there's a, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but you know, you no, got no. attached and type uh, condo associations, and yeah. you know, downtown there's condos as well. Um, so very familiar uh, with that type of aspect, having been a homeowner that, um, in Chicago land and here. So, how long yeah. have you been in Portland? Uh, over a year now. Okay, so you have made yeah. it to Powell's Bookstore by now, right? You can't miss it. I mean, it's right there. <laughs> it's a great place uh, of course yeah it is uh like manna from heaven for me i'm a complete book nerd and uh, oh i love it uh i get yelled at in the house like are you you're actually going to buy more books i'm i'm going to the bookstore <laughs> later today in fact <laughs> i love powell so you can get lost in that place i mean it's just amazing oh, so funny. um very cool well they actually open a shake shack right next to it i believe so that's like a a new up and coming thing downtown along with um, the, the Ritz. It's, it's pretty interesting downtown. Downtown is transitioning. Very cool. Well, thanks. I know that was an aside, but I mean, the mm -hmm. cool thing with the member spotlight um, podcast is that we get to really know about the MGMA members. You get to know about the work you do, but maybe even some of the things you do that uh, aren't related specifically to the job because it is a work-life balance. We are human beings here. So it's good to know what else is going on. And with that said, Jason, I want to turn to you because y'all were telling me offline. I hope you don't remind, mind repeating it, but you and uh, Ken have a really cool connection as MGMA members. And just if you don't mind telling us a little bit about that origin story, because it really gets to the heart of being an MGMA member, the networking you can do and how you can not only make friends, but uh, benefit from that professionally as well. Sure, sure. So um, I took on the role through the Illinois chapter of MGMA, I think a little over a year ago as their legislative liaison. So Ken had that role, it's a volunteer role, uh, part of a, a committee. And I ended up contacting him because I needed some advice. I had done some, you know, advocate work 
years ago, but this was certainly not something I was asked to do it. And Ken had moved on to, to Oregon. So we chatted and, and we had connected. We talked over the phone and we're like, hey, are you going to MGMA in Nashville? And I think this was probably about a year ago this time. Maybe it was March or February, but about a year ago. And so we met and we had emailed and texted back and forth, but we just hit it off over lunch. And we had a um, session that I was leading out on. It was kind of an impromptu employee engagement session in the vendor hall at MGMA National. And I said, hey, Ken, why don't you come with? And he came with, and I'm glad he did because he has a really great background in healthcare, but he understands the way I do as far as uh, culture and developing a good culture and engaging people, whether it's patients, physicians, or your staff. And it it was beneficial because I think when, when Craig had, and Jessica had asked me at MGMA, yeah. Hey, would you would you do this for this this facilitator? I said, sure, I would. We thought we'd get maybe five people. I think yeah. close to sixty people showed up, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, we spent you know we probably could have spent hours. Yeah. Um. So I I think that that's definitely that there's definitely a a appetite for people wanting to learn about how can I improve my organization or my department's culture wherever they're at or uh, institutions culture and, and what can I do better whatever supervisory role I'm in, or even if you're not in a supervisory role, whatever you're in in healthcare, how can I make a positive impact? But meeting Ken, I, I realized, and I think he would share the same thing, that we were similarly aligned as far as our views on, on culture and engagement. So, you know, Ken had approached me and said, why don't we do a podcast together? So Daniel, here we are, we're doing a podcast together. So I anticipate <laughs> we'll collaborate down the road and um, that's kind of full circle where we're at one year later. Thanks to okay. MGM. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it was, it was that 25 minutes was not enough. I think they were literally scheduled for 25 minutes. And mine was actually a, a Asians in healthcare um, one for 25 minutes. Mine was that size that you're expecting, Jason. So maybe you should have posted that one. That was only five to seven people. Or maybe it was 20. <laughs> but the we could have gone on forever in that yeah. um, engagement um, part because folks are really, you know, ever all the time, but ever since COVID, especially this retention situation is, is yeah. huge. And how do we engage folks? And I love and geek out on all the nuance of that. I swear. So, Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And that is something um, we're just hearing time and time again, whether it's in these uh, member spotlight podcast, whether it's a webinar, um, when we're hearing that engagement from the MGMA members, we're hearing. Yeah. Uh, this retention thing is real. Uh, not only do we have current shortages, but then at times you can have that revolving door of people coming in, people leaving, you know, and it's just, you don't, how do you build a culture like that? How do you uh, hit your uh, numbers that way when you're constantly training new people to take on roles? So quite a challenge there. I did want to stay with you, Ken, and ask you a question You've been um, a volunteer with MGMA uh, in many facets. You're um, a, a constant presence, a continuous presence on the in the community and other places. When I talk to MGMA employees, they go, "Oh yeah, we know Ken. He's awesome." You know, it's like, "Oh, that's cool." <laughs> I got to pay so, him. Make sure you give me the name so I can pay that's, him. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so. I wanted to ask you about that, that volunteering role. What has that meant to you? And then what other advice would you give to any of our listeners here if they've 
have done some volunteering or maybe they're on the fence and go, eh, I'm kind of busy though. So, you know, give the sales pitch of what it's like to be a volunteer and, and how it you're giving back, but also how it can benefit you as well. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking. I think that's an awesome question. Um, I'm a person that can be overwhelmed, um, but I'm used to just diving in um, to things and, and, because I was forced to, I'm actually a professionally trained musician. Um, so I, I was forced to perform and have, uh, you know, face the fears of performance anxiety. So okay. taking on another thing was like, oh, great. But then when you become less selfish and you take 50 steps back uh, and you look at the good, I just think there's a ton of good that we can do just uh, sharing our experiential like knowledge with folks. Um, and there's an opportunity, I think, to inspire. This is huge. This is huge. The new generation, um, to see healthcare practice management as being accessible. But, um, I think in general, you know, we can do better and I see strides in that direction, um, in all facets, um, MGMA included. Um, and it's been inspiring to, be with folks that are open to hearing what I have to say. Cause I'm a lot of the times you'll be having these obligatory conversations. They sound like a lot of the same and I'm just going in there and just kind of pushing and challenging it a little bit. And when I say we can do better, I think we need to be less black and white, you know, right or wrong um, and more open and patient to having like these nuanced conversations, because that's what the younger generation is doing and willing or wanting to have. And when we're able to speak that language, we're able to keep that membership strong because it'll feel accessible and we make them want to have a career of healthcare practice management. So what was I really saying there is like, we can give so much from our experiential knowledge and it's just very exciting to be able to do. And I get fired up when I'm inspiring, when I see people light up. To that alone, when you can see somebody being inspired by things coming out of your mouth, kind of cool. So that's what I've really enjoyed about it a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Jason, you uh, got my interest because I had not seen the numbers on this um, talk, the impromptu talk, whatever it exactly that was in Nashville that kind of just took off. so I want to ask you more about physician and employee engagement. Um, you can lean into that talk in Nashville if you want, or just in general, talking about strategies, initiatives, anything that you found that's effective uh, in getting that ag- engagement to rise up there. Yeah, no, this is a, a question. I speak quite often, um, whether it was this particular opportunity to speak, uh, Becker's Hospital Review, and Illinois MGMA, I've, I've done some some panels and discussions. And um, I, I even taught in a, in a prior institution, uh, I'm a certified high reliability trainer, which revolves around patient safety. But I think, you know, the trainer from Prescani that I work with, Rob, you know, he what he taught us was that it's as much about developing the culture for the safe environment and having a rapport and, and having an environment that's safe rather than having a punitive environment, you know, and, and I don't mean to pull this off to safety, but there are plenty of times in healthcare 
people notice things are wrong and they're afraid to speak up. That's not a culture that you want. So when I go to different uh, conferences, when I'm invited to speak on different podcast webinars, you know, I strip it down to its basic bare bones. Can you have a genuine conversation with the people you work with? Start, let's start very simple. And there are a lot of people out there that will, will have different ways that they package this. And, and they probably do a much better job than me as far as packaging, giving it acronyms, giving it names. That's not kind of, I don't think it's Ken, I don't think it's me, but, but just genuinely speaking, can you have a human connection with someone? Can you talk to them? Um, you know, because a lot of times you have to ask yourself, especially when you're in a supervisory role, why are you in that role? You know, is it for the money or is it because you just wanted to aspire to move up and up and up? And, and neither of them are wrong, but you're going to find out quickly if it's more the money than it is the aspirations to wanting to positively impact patients' lives, staff's lives, physicians' lives. I think one of the most important things is being genuine. I have worked for managers, directors, executives, physicians, co-workers who you just can't trust. And, and people like to be around and do business with people that you either trust and or like. And usually trust and liking is probably together. You can usually bundle those together. What I'm getting at is if you're a genuine person, when you round, okay, and, and when I've talked to students at my alma mater, at, at some of my colleagues have invited me to, to speak to their uh, students in, in their uh, places where they're professors at, at healthcare administrative um, uh, bachelor's degrees, graduate degrees. You, you have to be able to have a genuine conversation. And some people are triggered because of past experiences with the management they've worked with. So I think the other thing, and this is very different than probably when even Ken came in, when he was a, a tech in an MA, when I came in, essentially my first role, I was a manager. I was really registered patients coming through the clinic until we built up that clinic 21 years ago. But realistically, what's the mental health look like in your organization? How are people getting along? COVID, we've seen it. We've talked about it. That was a, a really above and beyond historical triggering moment and an unfortunate moment in world history where many people died and we did the best that we could. And I, I, I still look um, where, where some, some points, I just don't want to even think about just because there was a lot of depression and anxiety for a lot of us, including myself, mm -hmm. but to be a, a genuine person, not just even being a leader, you have to be able to be genuine in being transparent in where you're at right now, um, where you're at mentally, as far as, you know, if you need a break, I, I you know, with my team right now, I, I feel like I have a wonderful team. We have a great shared culture. I have a wonderful chair in Dr. Sinu Hariprasad that, that has developed such a fantastic culture over the last four years. I, I think you need to acknowledge that, yes, people do have a job, but they have things outside of work. And it's more than just yoguing ourselves out of it. it. It's acknowledging that we're there to try and help them, uh, take away some pain points, work on some processes, but acknowledge that a parent with three kids on a day where there's freezing rain and snow may not get to work on time or may have to work remote. You have to be flexible. And I think I could probably keep going on and on and on, but at the end of the day, being honest, being genuine, being true, being real, start there. 
the technical pieces will fall into place. But if you don't have that emotional intelligence, if you can't relate to people, if you can't effectively communicate, you're dead in the water as far as the relationship you'll have with anybody. And that's personally or professionally. And I will tell you this, I struggled with that for probably the first half of my career. And I was very lucky that I had someone pull me aside and provide me some tools that brought me to a place where now I can teach these things to others and give back, as Ken mentioned earlier. The, the best thing in the world is not hearing yourself talk about it, but being able to have a positive influence on, on the people you work with and, and even the younger generation, because they had a really rough ride in COVID the way that I, I didn't experience that when I graduated in 2000 from college. I don't know what I would have done back then. I don't know what any of us would have done. They went through a lot. So you just have to be kind. Start there. Yeah, we can, we can, as the podcast goes on, I can give you some like tangible things that we're working on at University of Chicago, but being kind and being aware of of one's mental health is very, very important. Yeah, I go ahead. A lot of that is just being a decent human um, overall. And I think this is where we started to really get excited in our conversations, Um, Jason, especially. I love that somebody forced you or something happened that forced you to kind of see the light and shift your direction a little bit, if I heard that correctly. And myself, like, you know, I've seen a lot of bad things, bad leadership that shaped who, how I lead and how I do things like, yep, not doing it that way. Um, And a lot of it, what I realized a lot of it is rooted in ego, right? And Mm. um, not being able to lead properly is leads, it's just toxic and it's just not good. Um, So I've seen to kind of couple with Jason is like, you know, knowing folks experiences and um, being empathetic to their history, whatever it may be in terms of their environment, um, culturally or whatever, but still holding them accountable, right? Be empathetic, be less black and white. So I think, I think that's huge. I felt obligated to say that. Yeah. Well, both Ken and Jason, y'all both really talked about humanizing healthcare. Uh, but staying with you here, Ken, what role does or can technology play, um, in fostering a positive culture and improving engagement. I mean, we're talking on a Zoom call. We're spread out all over Chicago, Denver, Portland. We're all over the place. We're connecting here. But talk about technology's role in uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, making that connection. Yeah, I mean, obviously, technology is a huge tool. I mean, I grew up with it. Uh, most people, I mean, everybody did now at this point. Um, and it helps. It's a great tool for fostering uh, a positive culture, um, improving, you know, physician employee engagement. Um, it's, it's a huge, huge for communication collaboration. I mean, the internal platforms, they help streamline communication, uh, allow you to share knowledge and, you know, encourage teamwork. You won't always leverage those things. Obviously huge was telemedicine and remote work. Um, that's improving work-life balance. Um, improving the access to care, which I think is huge. Um, and also still furthering that another avenue for collaboration and accessibility. Um, it allows us to be really key in terms of data, you know, data-driven feedback, um, you know, is huge. Um, and you can recognize where you're winning or losing or where you need to make a little adjustments. Um, but it can be huge for morale um, and engagement. Um, 
protecting the role of workflows, obviously, you know, the EHRs help reduce administrative burden if they're set up properly. Uh, and, you know, it helps improve the accuracy and, and provides more of that data that we was talking about earlier. Um, we're talking automation is always part of those things, you know, built into those workflows. And now we're introducing AI, you know, in terms of automating those tasks and minimizing uh, workloads um, and focusing on higher level work if you can, or stuff that you want to really focus on. Um, mobile tech, you know, the wearables, adding to more data. Um, you know, my mom has a little, you know, her her watch and the data getting sent over her doctor um, is, is huge. Um, so like a patient monitoring standpoint um, and, you know, remote consults. Um, tech also from, from, from being a, like, providing and fostering a supportive environment. You know, mental health platforms are providing resources for stress management uh, and burnout prevention and wellness. Uh, what else we got here? Learning and development platforms for, you know, you can get training and educational opportunities easily accessible for your only professional development and, you know, tools for your own engagement of your teams and whatnot. Social recognition. I mean, that's huge. Um, there's that like, and unfortunately, it's a reality, right? People want to see their, their posts liked or this, that. It's how can you positively do that and leverage that? Um, so, you know, there's a lot there. Yeah. And I could probably go on even longer. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of great ways that um, technology plays a role. Yeah, thank you. I want to turn to Jason then. You were talking about uh, strategies and initiatives with that engagement, any of those, you can take this in any direction you want, Jason, if you want to add in technology's role in any of these strategies or initiatives, but however you want to handle it, we'd love to hear what you've done that you've put into place that have worked for you. Sure, sure. So I'll give you a couple uh, smaller bucket ones, bigger bucket ones. So, and this is something that um, if you're in a supervisory role, especially post 2020, you know, I have a lot of flexibility with my staff and their uh, schedule, whether they're hybrid, remote, um, they like to communicate differently. Some want to talk over the phone, some want to text, some like Microsoft Teams, some want to set up a Zoom, some want to meet in my office. And the physicians I work with are the same way. So I think if you would have met me at the beginning of my career, I had a, you know, it's kind of like football. You have an offensive coordinator, he has his system. And there's a quarterback that is not that, you know, his, his skills are not going to match up with that system and usually ends up becoming an epic failure. Either someone gets hurt or the quarterback doesn't perform well. People get fired, traded, cut, whatnot. You don't want to be in that position when you're in a, in a role where you're supervising people. You own that power dynamic. You don't want to abuse that in that way. So, you know, in, in my role right now, since it's a bit more strategic, a bit more business, I'm not in operations, but I have the flexibility of allowing my folks to do hybrid or remote. And I have mixed schedules and you know what? We're accountable to each other. We get a hold of each other. We get the work done. And that was one of the things between, you know, myself and my chair. It was like, sure, we can be flexible, but as long as we get our work done, we're accountable. We help our uh, physicians out. We support them directly, indirectly helping our patients. Everyone loves it. Everyone loves it. And I'll tell you why. When, when I get people to comment and I, I don't want to make this about me, I want to make it about like, what can we do to further improving the relationship? 
people are like, you treat me like an adult. And so many times I hear people tell the story of how I feel like I'm in preschool. I feel like I'm in kindergarten. You don't want that type of a relationship. Most of the people you work with, if not all of them, unless they're a volunteer of some kind, they're probably over the age of 22. They're an adult. They can vote. They can go serve in the armed forces. They can legally drink. Even if they can't legally drink and they're under 22, the point is you treat people like an adult. You treat them the way you'd want to be treated. And as Ken mentioned earlier, you have to leave your ego at the door. You cannot have an ego. It's just not how it works now. Maybe 20, 30 years ago it did. That, that, that top down, I'm in charge, do as I say, that's a culture that's gone by. And, and I think it's a good thing in that regard. I think having the collaboration has led to us to having a lot more discussions and actual focused attention on DEI initiatives, which are important. You know, I, I, I truly think it's important wherever you're at that you have staff that come from a variety of backgrounds, underrepresented or otherwise. Why? Because many of the patients you serve are that of, of that, you know, underrepresented, you know, especially where I'm at. I'm in Hyde Park in Chicago, which is, um, majority of the patients are minority patients underrepresented, you know, I, I know like just being culturally sensitive, I've talked to patients, I've talked to, they want to be able to, to speak to a doctor that may look like them, may have come from the same background as them, may speak the same language or have accessibility to those kind of translating services and other similar supportive services. And, and I think it's important that you create an environment that allows all those things to flourish. In our department, um, and, and I give Dr. Harry Prasad, my chair, a lot of credit, he had, you know, prior to my time, developed a wellness committee, and I came in and, and worked with the physicians to kind of expand it. And, you know, there's some great things that they were doing and that we've added on, and, and those things include having, you know, an annual retreat, including having acknowledgement of awards of people that have embodied the mission, vision, values of the department and the organization. And and also in between then acknowledging that in committee meetings, through emails, through rounding, informally, formally, I, I think it's important that you acknowledge that the organization where I work, we, we use a company called Perspectives. And I'll be honest with you, I don't have any problem because I think normalizing is important. I've used them when I've had stress, called and just wanted to talk to someone. And thankfully, it's been few and far between once or twice. But some people enjoy using those services an organization offers that because work and, and life can be stressful and uh, you have to give people that outlet to help solve their problems so they can be at their best, not just for where you work, but the human side is so they can be best for, for their own uh, kids and family and society. Um, but I also think it's important we normalize the conversation too is there's still a stigma around mental health. And I bring this up because if you're not mentally healthy, you're going to come to work and, and not be creating a culture that people are going to want to be around. And I'm not blaming someone that might be in a bad spot mentally, but you have to acknowledge that people are not perfect. We're not robots. Yes, we have AI, mm -hmm. but we as humans are not AI, right? We, we will make mistakes. Um, and, and truth be told, AI makes mistakes because we developed AI and, you know, it's just the way it is at least currently until it starts learning more and more and gets a bit more advanced. But I, I think it's important that, you have conversations with your team about what's important. So when you have your huddles, like I have weekly huddles with my team, simple. This is something that's been around for years. 
people will, will package it up in different names. It's, it's you're huddling around, whether you're an executive, whether you're a frontline supervisor, it doesn't matter. You huddle and you round. You have to be effective. You have to be genuine. I remember one time I had an executive that started doing rounding on a regular basis because she had gotten feedback that maybe she wasn't being perceived as the executive she thought she was. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that was awkward for everybody in the management team, me included. Um, and we would all talk afterwards and we would chat or text or call each other and, and, and we share. And it was just, it was so awkward because it was just not in her wheelhouse to be genuine. It wasn't, she was more of a board executive that was not connected with her people. That was as far as she could go. And you can't be successful with your team if you're going to have those emotional intelligent limitations. So you know, our, our wellness initiatives, acknowledging the services we have available, acknowledging people's good work, rounding. Um, there's also something that we do that's kind of neat. So the physicians contractually get hours off based on their contract, but my chair gives them, um, and it's more, I think, more symbolic than anything. I think it's, it's part of the developing of the culture. He gives all the physicians a half day, he calls it wee hours, wellness hours, and they're free to do whatever they want with it. And, and he hopes that they report back about what they did, but it's all about what do you want to do during that time to improve your wellness, whether it's going to the museum with your child, whether it's doing a yoga class, maybe it's sitting at home and just reading a book. So I think just normalizing that conversation has really shifted it. And, and I can tell you, and this is not a pat on the back, but there are, are many departments that I think I work with that will ask us, what are you doing? And at the end of the day, it's just being about being genuine and honest. Yeah. Well, I think that is a great place to end this conversation. Jason, Ken, thank you all so much for joining us on the MGMA Member Spotlight. we got to get you back on here. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the MGMA Member Spotlight podcast. We've been joined today by Ken Chen and Jason Raidbard. It's been a great conversation. And if you're interested in joining us on the Member Spotlight podcast, just send me a note. You can email me at dwilliams at mgma.com. And I'll put that in the episode show notes as well. And thanks so much for being an MGMA podcast listener. Most physicians don't have the opportunity to learn the business of medicine. What docs don't get taught, Physician Business Training is a course developed by MGMA and administrators from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. This interactive course provides in-depth physician business training that can drive personal and organizational success. Purchase now for yourself or your organization at physicianbusinesstraining.com and earn eight hours of CME credit. Again, go to physicianbusinesstraining.com to purchase and to learn more.